Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Stuart Beadnall, and I'm hosting the latest in Stevenson Harwood's series of podcasts dealing with topical legal issues in the offshore energy industry. And the current topic is uh, LNG. As you may have noticed, there's uh, a lot of interest suddenly in LNG. It's uh, moving quickly to the top of the charts, and everybody's rushing to find ways of getting more LNG into their uh, gas networks. Um, and obviously, we've been seeing uh, quite a surge in interest in conventional LNG charters uh, carried on uh, conventional LNG ships. But the topic for today is how does this rush for gas, how is that supported by facilities in the offshore energy industry, in particular um, vessels capable of either producing or regasifying LNG offshore. And to deal with that topic, I'm very pleased to be joined by my colleague Tom Adams, who's very much a specialist in offshore LNG matters. So I'm going to throw some questions at him today. It's the first podcast he's done, so he doesn't quite know what to expect, but I'm sure he'll cope. <laughs> Hello, Tom. <laughs> Hello, Stuart. Um, so what I thought would be useful, if you could just start by explaining how sort of offshore facilities fit into the overall LNG supply chain. Yeah, so you may have uh, an offshore unit which uh, is capable of producing, treating and liquefying gas over the well and transferring that out to traditional LNG carriers to take to market. Or, uh, as you mentioned, the other possibility is to have uh, vessels which... Uh, take LNG in its LNG liquid form and deliver gas to, to either a subsea or to onshore pipelines. And are we seeing a lot of activity in both these areas? Can they quickly get us to a position of more LNG being transferred and imported? The production assets, the FLNGs as, as, they're, as they're known, uh, are very significant investments, big projects that take a long time to get on stream. We're seeing more activity in the regas uh, vessel market uh, where you can take a, an existing LNG carrier and, uh, and convert that to have a regas capability. And, and we hear these expressions, FLNG, FSRU, LNG, RV, LNG, RV. Um, from a legal and contractual viewpoint, does it really matter what type of facility we're dealing with? Can we just use normal shipping contracts and hope for the best? Um, no. Oh. Um, particularly where there's a production capability. So, so the FLNG project where you have a unit that produces LNG, there you've got all sorts of additional risks and issues to be dealt with uh, from the composition of the received gas uh, and the quality of the, of the produced uh, LNG. Uh, and those issues are more akin to an FPSO project. Uh, and so expertise uh, as to the legal risks in relation to FPSO is relevant to FLNG projects. And we could do a whole podcast just as an introduction to that, couldn't we? We could. Mm. So we're going to focus on the regas side of the business. So what are the particular risks from a technical and commercial viewpoint that uh, from a lawyer's viewpoint you need to be thinking about before you embark on one of these type of projects yeah so your 
SRV or LNGRV vessel will take on uh, LNG from from a traditional LNGC, and that's a, a ship to ship operation which isn't uh, elementary. Um, you, you're transferring uh, a liquid at minus 162 degrees C. Um, I presume you don't want to sl- sort of slap it around much, do you really? And no, spill any of it? No, no, no. spills. No. Um, and so that there's a there's a legal risk there that needs to be dealt with in your charters um and also at the, at the other end at the regasification end you need to ensure that your your vessel is going to generate gas at the required capacity to meet um the capacity requirements and where where it doesn't uh, or where there's a breakdown you have the potential for the LNGC that's delivering to the vessel or the next one uh, to be waiting around uh, while the problem is resolved or while the um, the cargo is regasified. And so while that LNGC is waiting around, you have boil-off and just the, the cost of delay, and that, that causes a, a risk that needs to be dealt with. And presumably it gets even more complex if you also have a, a power barge alongside some of the gas may be transferred to a power barge so it can generate electricity quickly and easily so that's an interesting way of developing these projects quickly but obviously (laughs) you then have an additional risk of transferring the gas from one vessel to another vessel yes Mm, plenty to look out for there but presumably you've got an lng carrier um you might think "Hmm, perhaps i'll convert this to a a regas vessel. What are the issues involved there? Technically, it's a substantial operation, but um, it's a well-trodden path, and there are systems, well-recognised systems that that can be fitted. Well, would you choose a modern LNG vessel and convert that? Typically, we see um, the conversion of of older tonnage. Um, which has got toward the end of its trading life and is better than suited to being used uh, as a terminal. We often see conversion activity increase in in poor markets, but here where we have a a good market, we may see that um, with the new emissions regulations coming into force later in the year and and early next year, that tonnage which uh, will struggle to be commercially viable uh, once speed limits and so on are applied it, it may be that those vessels are then used and converted to uh, regasification vessels so it's looking likely that the older lng vessels won't be able to meet the new requirements even if they're modified and still achieve full speed is that correct that's correct yes which is obviously a problem for everybody really the owners and the charterers and, and so, j- just quickly on the legal detail then, Tom, you've obviously looked at lots of these uh, contracts. Um, can we assume that the chartering of these FSRUs or LNGRVs, whatever the regas vessel is, um, just follows normal standard tanker charters? Is that the way? There are similarities. They're often on um, a long-term time charter type basis. Uh, they often look similar and have uh, common clauses, but there are significant differences too, in particular around the performance clauses. Sometimes the transportation clauses remain in there even where uh, the, the principal intention is, is for the vessel to remain and be used as a, as a, as a terminal and not transport LNG. 
But yeah, the focus is, tends to be around the performance clauses where the charterer will want to know that the, the vessel can perform and uh, reach the gas criteria that the, the charterer's customer requires and the, the owner will want some protection where there's uh, difficulties in meeting those performance requirements. So quite a bit of detailed review is actually needed then, particularly on the performance side, rather than simply accepting a very typical charter and hoping it works. Yeah. Okay, well, I noticed today there was uh, two requests for new FSRU tenders out there in the market, so perhaps we'd better get back to work, Tom, but thank you for your contribution, uh, and we look forward to being involved in a future uh, offshore energy podcasts but obviously if you have any questions on uh, the FSRUs you could go on to our energy hub website or please uh, contact myself or Tom very happy to assist thank you thank you